everyone and welcome to XYZ, the podcast about CNC, automation, robotics, business, and more. My name is Aaron Goff, owner of Goff Custom Knives, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nick Frank, from the Frank Brothers Guitar Company. How are you, mate? Howdy. I was thinking about improvising then, nearly tripped myself up. Oh, yeah, you've uh, stated that's a no, that's uh, not allowed. Yeah, no, we always screw it up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what have you been up to this week, mate? The rest of this whole thing is improvised, kind of. Mm, um, yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, as you know, it's a short week. Monday mm-hmm. was a holiday, which I don't yes, know. It's Labor Day, right? Yeah, I don't know. As a business owner, if you it also drives you crazy that there are these holidays <laughs> that we have to observe. Um, I resisted for a long time. Mm. And like my wife would just be like, she just knew that I was I would work on holidays, like you know, take the big ones off. But Labor Day, I actually should, you should be laboring. Them off. <laughs> I actually do try to take them off. It's it's like in my business goals um, because I don't think the answer should be working more. Right? No, it's definitely smarter. Well, that's that's true. Uh, but if you're not smarter, then you just work more. (laughs) Yes. So in your case, you have to work a lot. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, so yeah, short week. Um, but we've been, I've been, I started a new batch. I'm pumping out bodies on the Hoss while the Hoss is running. I'm pumping out fretboards and necks on the axes machine. We're a little behind on getting our, uh, plastics, uh, uh, temp, um, fixtures finished um we had some hiccups in it some vacuum holding issues uh because the parts are small (laughs) no the the pick guards they 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 vacuum down super easily right uh the pickup rings you know we're doing some not aggressive machining but we're doing some you know there's a quite a bit of machining on the underside that arched the pickup ring to match the arch of the top and then we uh, have to hog out that center uh, bit of material. Mm. So, you know, we're, we're doing it light, but uh, we just don't have a ton of faith in the amount of vacuum that you have. Because if you think of a pickup ring, not a lot to hold. Yes. Yeah. So did uh, you actually have a mishap or did you not have a lot of faith? We ha- Well, a little bit of both. There was some slippage of, um, we were using that, uh, vacuum fixture to machine some parts th- that are a similar size for mm. another fixture, and there was a slippage there. Correct. But uh, yeah, so it's just uh, we're we're gonna beef it up with some mighty bites. Hmm. Some kinda exciting. Pull clamps or like those hexagonal ones. Mm. I would definitely go for the pit bulls over those if you can. Well, we don't need like 6,000 pounds of force. I know, I know, but they still work a lot better. A lot better. Yeah, our concern is is crunching them because they're going to be hollowed out in the center so much. We're really just trying to keep them from shifting. Yeah, I mean, I would block it in and then um, put your pit bulls. So for those that are listening that don't know, the pickup ring is kind of rectangular with another rectangle cut out of the center of it. So in that situation, what I would do is put the pit bull clamps at the very edges where you're going to be pressing against material that's solid all the way through. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, you never want to clamp on a hollow or an area that's going to become hollow. Yeah, like, exactly. The thing yeah. is now we're, we, we may have to scrap this fixture, but we're trying to salvage it in the meantime. Right. So we haven't left ourselves space to clamp in those areas. Right. We we tried to pack them in because uh, we were we were thinking oh the vacuum will work great we've been having a lot of success with vacuum so this is mm-hmm. kind of our first um, semi failure I would say which is right. is kind of good I mean we've 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 gotten pretty far so far without yeah, blowing totally. anything but well I would I'm say tempted don't try to, to work to scrap it right yeah don't try to work too hard to save it and one one nice thing um, that you could do is look at buying bars. So I think you're making machining those out of acrylic, right? We are machining acrylic, so, ABS, 
wood and tortoise shell. (laughs) That's the other thing. If you can get all those materials in in bars that would make, you know, three three pickup rings in length or something, Mm -hmm. then it might be worth fixturing it so that you can, or, you know, four or two or whatever it is, you can fixture the whole length yeah and then have the the house like part them you know do like a a slotting operation to cut them apart from the bar and that kind of stuff right yeah we were talking about actually just because if we were just doing it out of i have been buying bars but i'm still chopping them up to like right. uh, four inch lengths right. uh but we could just machine these out of you know a sheet um like a 20 by 20 sheet or something 30 mm-hmm. by 20 uh, but um we because we we use all these different materials um like the tortoise shell ones we you know there's limitations to that material size and we're right. laminating it to wood mm-hmm. so the other thing is we're making we kind of want to be stay flexible in that we could we could load this palette with four pieces of black acrylic three you know four clear acrylic two tortoise yeah. Right. Um, I hear what you're saying, though, and, and it's tempting to at least do that for the materials we can, so have maybe a separate palette for doing that. But I was I was pretty hopeful that this would work. Well, I mean, it's not really a big deal because you can just run all that stuff through the chop saw. Like, it's, it's you know, put a stop on your on your saw and mm-hmm. zip, zip, zip. Like, it's pretty, it's pretty quick to make blocks. Yeah. Um, one thing I would maybe think about a little bit is doing a top hat style machining. So you buy stock that's over thickness by, you know, an eighth of an inch. Mm-hmm. Your first op, you hang onto the bottom edge of it with pit bulls. Right. Um, machine all of the stock away. And then one nice thing that you can do is actually machine a plug that goes inside the hollowed out section. So you put the plug in and then flip it over um, into the op two station, clamp on it from the side and then machine the, the top hat away. And that would let you get pretty darn aggressive. Mm-hmm. So that's sim- the similar to how we we how we have it set up on the axes machine actually. Right. We don't do the top hat thing. We we fixture it with super glue. Right. The first op, but then it does have a, like the part is then put into a plug. Um, yeah, yeah. But uh, we opted to try to change that method because the inside shape we want to be able to remain flexible with that because certain pickups like humbuckers some are squarer in the corners or we could do right. something like a filter tron which is just a bit smaller but in the same pickup ring so having that constraint inside with you know your plug size it limits but you i guess to... so but why wouldn't you just keep a variety of plugs on hand well so the way we have it set up now it's not like the plug is built into the fixture mm. so we would have to have multiple fixtures for different shapes and then uh, we were I was just literally trying to... saying just like, you know, have a plug that you just put inside to stop it from crushing when you clamp on it. Right. Off. So you, right. it's just a separate piece. Boop, drop it in, flip it over, clamp it down. Yeah. Machine well, the sec- yeah. It's a, it's a different way to think about it. I'm, I'm, we're trying to just, in the meantime, we need to get these things done. So that's mm-hmm. one reason we're trying to just, we think one, one of these um, Mighty Bite clamps right. will solve the problem the problem in the immediate future we all we've been saying this the whole time we we were making these is these are version one let's just get them done you yeah, know sure. make our mistakes uh so version two we we've already sort of I'll, I, i'm going to talk to mark about those ideas but we've already i think uh come up with some solutions where we could have we could have been smarter i think making a vacuum was a mistake though in the first place Making be- this operation vacuum, yeah, it's yeah. just so tempting. <laughs> you yeah, know, you don't just, have a screwdriver really to putz with. Yeah, you really have to think about. So, I mean, the the maximum clamping pressure you can get from vacuum is fourteen pounds per square inch. So, you like really have to like, you know, work out the the area of your part <laughs> and work out what the hold down force is. And you know, if it's anything less than like, you know. 100 pounds or 200 pounds i would start getting really shy about that yeah yeah so i think we we pushed our luck with it <laughs> that's fine uh, right? Living it, it's a nice looking fixture but it when you look at it I, 
we were, you know, you're like, uh, yeah, that's not enough. That's not enough vacuum. <laughs> it right. looks narrow. Like the, 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 like the gaps between the gaskets are, are pretty narrow. It's not a lot of space. Yeah. If there's just so many, there's, there's some restrictions, some constraints that we're trying to work within that we probably should have just been like, this is not right for vacuum. <laughs> right. We, we wouldn't have even need yeah, to, I, needed I, to do the math. We just threw through what, like we just went for it. I so. did see someone the other day making a fixture where there was a plug that went inside and the plug actually had a gasket slot cut around the outside of it. And then you could use the plug as part of the vacuum area. Right. So rather than having on that second op, rather than having to have those tiny little <laughs> gaskets around the edges, you know, you could still use vacuum, but the, the plug helps increase the, um, right. Yeah. Right. But that only works if you have like a shoulder inside that pocket mm -hmm. that it can go down onto. Yeah. So lots of thoughts for you there. I'll be very, you'll have to post some photos of what you end up coming up with. It's always nice to see fixtures. Yeah. Yeah. I think these fixtures are going to look great. Like the, this is the, this is the op zero. I mean, we call it op one just because op zero. So I don't know. I always find that confusing because it's like, it's a two op thing. And to say it's op one, it's like, was there two ops? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do op one and op two if there's if it's just like two operations. I normally go do op zero if it's like material prep. I th I thought op one op one would be fine, and then it's not enough, and I have to do material prep beforehand. Yeah, then, yeah. Then I get an op yeah. zero. <laughs> yeah, because this is like op op zero is like the majority of the machining. <laughs> yeah, no, that doesn't, that doesn't make much sense unless you're a programmer, in which it makes perfect sense. Zero is right. the start of everything. Yeah, op zero is me yeah. sawing this material up. There you go. <laughs> so that's I that's actually, what we've been working on. So nice. I actually had a fixture day today too. I um, the fixtures that I use for making the resolute, I just um, threw them in the garbage and started taping them down. <laughs> no, no, not quite. Um, particularly because I'm machining hardened steel and like the chips are very small and abrasive. Um, I tend to burn through like socket head cap screws and pit bulls mm -hmm. and, you know, all sorts of stuff that other people probably wouldn't wear out very much. I, I go through them. Oh really? Um, yeah. I usually burn like most of the pit bulls, uh, pit bull clamps on that fixture don't get replaced. But there's a couple that are like right next to a ton of very fine material removal that tend to get little hard metal chips underneath the heads of the oh. socket head cap screws. And then uh. it grinds out the inside of the, the pit bull. And it actually Ooh. gets to the point where the pit bull stops clamping properly. Really? Because um, yeah, those things it, are hardened steel, aren't they? Or are you using the machinable ones? No, I'm, they're hardened steel. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of. Clamp and unclamp cycles with like high yeah. torque and and yeah it'll do it. Um, it. Not too often, but I probably replace one to two a year on that fixture. Oh okay, so it's not. I, mean, I was going to say because it's they're they're expensive. Uh, yeah, um, not mean, wildly, but they're like fifteen bucks for each, right? Are they? I thought they were like seven or eight or something. I don't know. Um, I just. I do check. you order yours from McMaster? Oh yeah. oh yeah, I mean I've literally ordered one. I've I've ordered them once, right? But also different ones than what you're using. So right, uh, yeah. So I went through that fixture, replaced all the socket head cap screws, cleaned everything. Um, I tend to like gently chase the threads in the um, in the fixture plate to like get all the crud out of the the holes because like the little fine hard chips actually make it into the holes a bit too like into the threaded holes mm -hmm. and then in two cases i actually had it grind the threads in the holes like totally away um it's just ended up with a smooth bore instead of a threaded hole so i had Not in that bad, case eh? i had to like just yeah yeah so i ended up just like um drilling and tapping those holes deeper and then just using longer bolts you know oh it's really not a, yeah it's not a pretty solution but it works <laughs> um so yeah just just going through that um 
and then seeing as I was on the the maintenance road, I decided I, for a while I've so since I've got those new hydraulic tool holders uh, from Maritool for all of my hard milling, I I've noticed that there was some marks appearing on the taper of the tool holders. Yeah, you mentioned that. Um, yeah, so there were some marks on the tools themselves, um, which was galling because I was just running the tools too hard. So, yeah, one interesting thing about this, I actually talked to Frank about it um, at Maritool, and he said that side locks and hydraulic holders, they're not able to clamp the tool at the nose of the tool holder. Uh, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Right, the clamping, like a clamping section. Well, clamps. the clamping... The length yeah, exactly. of the, the contact. Exactly. So like an ER collet or an SK collet, yeah, clamps the whole length of the contact. Um, so with the hydraulic tool holders and uh, side locks, if you start to push them hard and they're like kind of, they'll actually start, like the tool will start deflecting inside the tool holder and kind of rolling around inside the nose, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, um, I feel like it's probably on a very microscopic level or small, like, very, it's hard to, very you know, when you say rolling around, you picture something exaggerated. Like but... a noodle. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it doesn't have to be much movement, though. And um, I was running the hydraulic holders very hard, you know, because I was kind of seeing, okay, what, what can they take? Um, and I actually managed to weld a tool inside one of the collets. Wow. Like, it, it cold welded itself in place, and I had to, like, take a hammer and punch to, like, knock it out. Um, so is that toast? <laughs> No, I, actually, it seems fine. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, basically, I went. I was doing um, side milling operations in hard steel, and I've decided that that's just like not a great idea, except for finishing. Um, so I went back to high feed, so like using the tip of the right. the end mills, and just stepping um, down. Yeah, and just stepping down instead, and that is a lot quieter, and it seems like the tools wear more predictably. Um, so yeah, but I, I mean, I love the hydraulic holders otherwise. I've been seeing um, them around but, a lot more. seems like a oh, lot yeah? of people are getting them. Well, I mean, for 200 bucks from Maritool, it makes a lot of sense. Like previously the Shunk Tendo holders that I tried, that's like, that was the lower end of hydraulic holders. And those were like 500 bucks each. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I was starting to see some. Uh, a couple of little marks on the taper of the tool holder itself, like where it goes into right. the spindle. Um, and so I just watched the a tool change the other day and realized that all of the spring clips that hold my tool holders into the umbrella, like the carousel on the, the tool changer, yeah, all of those spring clips were kind of loose. Um, so the tool holders were kind of rattling out of position. And then when the spindle was coming down to, to clamp them, they're kind of like hitting the mouth of the spindle and then shifting as right. the spindle keeps coming down. So like not catastrophic, but not a good thing. Like I wouldn't want to keep doing that. So I spent a couple of hours this afternoon and replaced every single one of the tool clips in my tool shop. Oh, so where did you find those? The tool clips? Yeah. Um, they're easy to get for Fidel's, thankfully. Great. Yeah, um, ITS CNC is where I get all my Fidel parts, um, and I think they're like twelve bucks each or something. They're not expensive. Um, That's amazing. Yeah, I'll see if I can find an actual price. But um, yeah, so I just went through. It's like two spring pins, like two roll pins, and uh, yeah, ATC clip is like yeah, twelve bucks. Um, Two roll pins and a, a little socket head cap screw per clip. So just go around and replace them all, and you now they're nice and How solid. long did it take you to get those? Uh, well, me being me, I have them in stock. Ah, smart. Yes. Had you had to replace them before? I, yeah, I've had to replace a couple on the other machines, so I just ordered a full set. I actually am going to go through and replace all the ones on the other machine because I was I was I went over to the other machine and started wiggling them and I was like, oh yeah, these need to be replaced. <laughs> so, so it's not it's just not, a matter of tightening them, eh? No, because it's actually like it's literally it looks like a um, like a spring clip, like a circlip. Do you know what a circlip is? Like a C shape. Yeah. Um, okay. And it's so it's made out of like heat treated steel, and it, the two like 
fingers at the open end actually like spread and then snap back right. into place around the tool holder. So once they've been holding a tool for, you know, years, they'll very slowly deform and kind of lose their holding power. Right. Um, I don't know if any of these were changed since the machine was new. Um, quite possibly that they weren't. So I'm sure these new ones will be good for another 10 years or so. Sweet. Yeah. Oh, I did also notice, I've been noticed every once in a while, I'll hear like a bit of a thump when it, when the tool change goes. And yeah. I'm like, mm, what, what was that? And um, I realized while I was working on it that the, so it has a mechanism called a Geneva wheel, um, which is very cool, old school mechanical way of Right, kind of I've heard of that. Yeah, so it has like a, a half moon and a pin together on a rotating thing right that rotates this weird looking gear and and so for each rotation of the the geneva driver it rotates the main geneva wheel which is the the tool carousel one station right um and either the geneva wheel itself or the driver has gotten chowdered out so there's like a some slop in there now um and so sometimes when when it's changing the like indexing the, the turret it doesn't index it far enough and then the side of the spindle is actually like pushing the, the turret into place with a bit of a clunk right um so uh, you do you mean like as the um as the tool holder is going into the spindle it's off center and then no it's actually when the um so the the umbrella style tool changer kind of moves in from the side toward the spindle. The whole mechanism mm -hmm. moves. Yeah. And if it's not perfectly lined up, then the drive dogs on the spindle, the drive keys on the spindle face will hit the aluminum of the oh, carousel. I see. Yeah. Okay. And that's what's happening. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I look, had a look in there and it's made a little dent on right. one of the pockets. So I was like, okay. So yeah, but again, I can just, I can buy the Geneva wheel and the driver. The driver's like 140 bucks and the Geneva wheel is like 180. You know, not a That's big amazing. deal. That's amazing. Yeah. So who's making these? Uh, those are all from ITS again. They're not new so I, stock or anything like that? I don't believe so. I think some stuff is, but everything I've ordered from them was new parts. Crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so they used to be um, one of the electronics testing houses and supply houses for Fidal. Mm -hmm. So they used to supply like, um, you know, uh, all of the computer boards and that kind of stuff. So I think they just like, when Fidal went out of business, they just expanded into supplying mm -hmm. all the spare parts for these machines. Cool. That's cool business. Yeah. So yeah, that was fun. Um, nice. It's always nice to put a bit of a polish on stuff. Yeah. You know, it's funny because sometimes you're forced to do uh, these like maintenance things or fix something and it always kind of sucks. And then at the end you're like, well, I feel a lot better now about yeah. this machine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always kind of, I don't know. I kind of enjoy it. I kind of enjoy being a mechanic. So it's yeah. Yeah. You so, would. You're sick. Yeah. Right. Uh, I did get an exciting package this afternoon. Oh, I don't know if uh, I said on the last show that I was going to order some of those Zebec uh, deburring brushes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Does so, he, are, sorry, these these aren't the ones that Maritool is going to bring in for you, are they? No. So yeah. So um, Frank at Maritool is lovely. I I said that I was looking at these brushes, and he was like, "Oh, let me talk to my brush supplier. He's a brush supplier that he's like." looking at dealing with so he sent me a whole bunch of samples he sent me like eight different brushes um and those are all abrasive impregnated nylon brushes so okay. the individual um bristles in in the brush are like nylon plastic with like grains of abrasive in there okay and i've used i've tried other brushes like that in the past and and the issue is that because basically i'm trying to brush the the, the little fine tool marks out of hardened tool steel. You know, it's like 63 Rockwell, right? right. So you have to get Not quite a, a lot job. of like, no, and you have to get quite a lot of cutting action in there. And so these, these, these brushes from Zebec are like astronomically expensive. I ordered one that is uh, 16 millimeters in diameter. So like half an inch ish with the little holder for it. 
and it was 500 bucks for a just, brush yeah just for like one brush on the hold so like they yeah. are not cheap oh. and the i i didn't realize why they were different like why they claimed that they were so much better until i like really went through their website i think they're a japanese company and so they're like their communication isn't necessarily the best in terms of like saying why they're better if that makes sense right. so it turns out the bristles on this brush are so like you think of like glass fiber right you have an individual kind of strand of this really strong glass yeah basically they make ceramic fiber that's like long like that like glass fiber okay and cool. then they bundle a bunch of them together with a binder and that is one bristle in the brush Right, and then you have you know hundreds of those. So the individual bristles, you can bend them like 180 degrees, like back on themselves, and then let them go, and they like snap back into place. They're like really, really stiff. Um, and it's crazy like, that they're so flexible, though. Yeah, well, I mean, glass uh, glass fiber is as well. I mean, I yeah. so I haven't bent one 180 degrees, but you get what I mean. Like they, sure. the nylon brushes very quickly take a set. The actual bristles like kind of fray outward these ones they're supposed to stay straight basically right. until they're like little stubs um and it's all because of it's actually like a ceramic fiber and the other thing is that it's like 80 percent abrasive whereas the nylon brushes are like you know maybe 20 percent abrasive mm -hmm. um so yeah and i tried it i just the way that i've been like initially testing these bristle these brushes to see whether they're aggressive enough so i just chuck them in a hand drill and like try it on a piece of hardened steel mm -hmm. and see whether it's actually cutting or not and like a lot of the nylon brushes like barely even touch the the steel and then the ones that were really aggressive i tried them in the cnc machine and yeah they didn't really do anything the the zebek brush even by hand was like almost making tool marks disappear so oh shit yeah i'm very excited to see what what, um, what diameter did you get uh it's a bit over half an inch like five eighths or three quarters something okay. like that i'm looking at these online and i mean in, in a way it's kind of what i expected it looks like a brush but it it looks pretty serious yeah and they make ones up to like 20 inches in diameter wow yeah these i mean um these are the coolest brushes i've ever seen <laughs> yeah absolutely and you know what i i, I I spent more than the cost of one of those brushes trying other less expensive brushes. Yeah. You know? Um, so, yeah, sometimes you end up, like, pissing money down the drain when you're trying to save money. So we'll, yeah. we'll see what happens. I know. Um, that Those big price tags often are a little scary. Yes. When you're, when yeah. you're like, doing something sort of like prototype-y like this. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, if it, if it works, it's going to be pretty revolutionary for, for my process. Um, because so with the kitchen knife, what I'm going to be doing is machining the bevel of the kitchen knife, but not doing the S grind, like the, the relieved part of the blade, not doing the holes or anything through it. And then come in with the brush and, and polish that whole, like relatively flat surface. Um, you know, there's no corners or anything to round over. So I can be really aggressive and then come in afterwards and cut in the extra features. And then right. I can deburr those or brush those individually as well. Right. Um, so it, I don't know if it works. I may end up having like several grades of these brushes because I, I bought the coarsest one, but then they also make four finer grades. Cool. So um, if it does remove the tool marks, then you could step down and, mm -hmm. or is it, is it up in grit like sand? I would be, yeah, I guess I'd be stepping up in grit to a finer brush. Um, and yeah, like doing polishing. It'd be so cool to see how far you could push that. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. If it if it works, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. We'll we'll see. Fingers crossed. Kick ass. <laughs> yeah, I I've been doing some. Um, so you actually visited my shop last. I week. did. It it's the first Stole time I've a been lot of my tools. Shop. Borrowed and then left. <laughs> um, and when you were there, I showed you something I was working on, which was. I was actually like manually editing a bunch of G code um, to yeah. see if I could improve the results that I'm getting from the 3D contouring on the that, on the blade bevel. That looked finicky. Yes, it super was. But uh, I will say though, so if anyone else has to like you know edit a couple of little bits out of a you know G code program to 
tweak something for production or whatever, there's an amazing website called ncviewer.com. Um, and you just like upload your G code file. It gives you a three dimensional, like visual, um, image of all the tool paths. And then you can like click on a part of the tool path and it'll highlight it in the text, like in the actual G code. And then you can oh. you know, change it or delete it. And, and then it'll get reflected in the, the visual side of it. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. So that's what I used to do all the tweaking. Uh, couple of hours of code editing and it made no difference unfortunately no <laughs> yeah oh man it wasn't that little um jog up that it was, that was no so i said to i said to nick that i thought maybe fusion with three three uh, fusion 360 was adding some little like lead-ins and lead-outs in the middle of this like 3d contoured surface which i thought was very strange um and i thought that maybe getting rid of those would um make my machine kind of hold better to the surface, like right. produce a, a nicer surface. And it does not seem like that was the issue. Damn. It sounded logical. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, I did actually work out how to remove those in Fusion after, after playing around with it. it. It turned out that... So I'm doing the... Previously, I was doing the passes three thousandths of an inch apart. Um, and in some cases, there was... It's kind of like a step in between those two passes in, in Z. So rather than being, you know, like a one micron step, it was like a three micron step because it was on a, a steeper part. And Fusion was basically in that instance doing the lead in and lead out to try and make that step safer, I guess. Hmm. Um, so what I ended up doing was actually increasing the speed of the passes from 80 inches a minute to 96 inches a minute and then moving the passes closer together. Right. Um, and that eliminated, like Fusion doesn't want to do those steps anymore, those lead-ins and lead-outs. Okay. And the surface it produces is actually nicer, but it still has that, there's still a couple of little, like, I don't know, some of the passes are just not in the right place. And I, I right. really do think that it's my machine. Okay. Yeah. So an Akumo Genus. Oh, God, <laughs> dude. I, I went down the rabbit hole. Uh, last week and the week before, looking Did you? at used machines. Yeah, yeah. So the you know the dream machine we've talked about on the show before, the F five, Makino F five. Yeah. So I got some used prices on Makino F fives. Can we hear them? Um, yeah. So a two thousand and six Makino F five with I think it had it was pretty low hours. It was like nine thousand spindle hours. All oh, graphite. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully not. <laughs> Um, 160 US. Okay, steep. Yeah. Um, there was a for 2006. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, how much are they new? I'm. I actually haven't gotten a price, but I'm imagine they like given all the prices I've been seeing for used stuff, they must be around like 250k US. Right. So I mean, that holds. That's pretty good value. Like it. It holds its value pretty good, rather. Yeah. I found one that was like someone had taken delivery of this machine and then never used it. It was still in its shipping crate. New old stock. Yeah. DMC. That's crazy. Yeah. I've never seen that before. So that was from 2019, brand new, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that was 199,000 US dollars. Huh. Oh, for that all of a deal. Okay. <laughs> so that's interesting. 160, so, $160,000 US. For a sixteen-year-old machine, yeah. Oh, sorry, maybe it was one hundred and thirty. I remember thinking it was about the, the price of the Okuma, so I think it was right. around one hundred and thirty for two thousand six. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, at that price, it's like I think I'd be better off if I was going to spend that kind of money. I think I'd be better off buying the Okuma. Yeah, I mean, especially because you would then get the uh, whatever warranty it's got and service. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think the warranty on those machines is actually pretty serious. I think it's like a five-year warranty or ten-year Five-year? Wow. That's pretty yeah. good. Um, yeah, because, you know, Nick and I are used to kind of thinking about Haas, where they only give you like a one-year warranty, right? Um, they do. They did. When I bought ours, ha they, they had a deal going that uh, they threw in the extended warranty package, which is another mm -hmm. year. Right. But then... Yeah, they were like, well, you're cutting wood on it, so I don't know how 
warrantyable your machine will be. <laughs> they just <laughs> threw that in. I was like, right, hey, yeah, thanks. Just, just say no. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to find the warranty information on the Akuma website. I can't, I can't find it right now. I remember seeing a five year warranty on something, but maybe it wasn't Akuma. Maybe it was something else. Right. Yeah, that's pretty serious. Five year warranty. I thought. Yeah, I, I, I mean, didn't think that they gave warranties that long. I've seen long warranties on like the spindles. Hmm. Um, I, yeah, and I'm yeah, sure if you, you're you like, oh, I crashed my machine, they're going to be like, yeah, good luck claiming the warranty on that. But you know. Yeah. Um, I, well, I was, I've been following your uh, pal Bavaria CNC. Oh, yes. The, um, Did you see? Just Machining YouTube channel, right? Yeah, well, I, I, I follow him on Instagram. Oh, no, I didn't. I, I think it's I the same guy. Him. He's got a Hermley. Okay, yep. Yep, yep, same guy. He crashed it. Oh no! He crushed this, those um, those spindle bearings because oh. Hermley has this. Um, I guess it's an, an option that they have these crushable spindle uh, bearings. I think they're bearings. Anyways, it makes oh. the repair super easy and simple. So oh, that's interesting. It seemed like that's so. It's like a mechanical fuse in the spindle. I guess so. I I can't speak to what it, you know, how it's the engineering behind it, but. Uh, it seems right. like it saved them, and I've, that's the second time I've heard of that happening to somebody with a Hermley, where that saved them. Right. So yeah, maybe buy a Hermley. I, I, yeah, sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I think you have to be a lot more serious with like toolpath simulation and stuff on five axis, and then yeah. I would assume even with that, crashes are probably more likely. Yeah, it seems scary. Well, I didn't have a crash, but I did have a weird thing happen with the Ooh. Haas. Uh, I had a software error. Oh. And it right in the middle of a program, it just stopped. Mm. Spindle wound down and it threw an threw an error code at me. Uh, and had it like cut in the wrong place at all? Nope. Or? Nope. It was right in the middle of a cut, pretty much. And it wouldn't mm. reset. Like I couldn't get the spindle up. Couldn't so jog the, the spindle the up. Well, I power cycle the machine. Or? I was that was an easy solution to do that, and I googled it and I, I read some forum article or you know some forum posts of right. of this happening. Or at least there's one, and the person just said to to do that. But I was like, well, I'm just gonna call Haas. It was hmm. it was a I was a, one of my late, like work late nights, so I was kind of I was it was like eight o'clock maybe. But they're right. three hours back, so they answered. <laughs> and maybe it was seven thirty. But um yeah, they that's what they said to do. Just power cycle it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh but it kinda sucked. Well, I mean, so it's interesting. It's not necessarily the fault of Haas. It's not necessarily the, you know, indication of poor build quality or anything. Because basically, like, we are all being bombarded with cosmic rays. <laughs> literally like rays from space rays from the sun right um so it's literally like ionizing radiation that you know zips through the atmosphere and, and hits stuff um and you know sometimes computers glitch out because uh, literally like a, a bit of stray radiation hit the processor in just the wrong spot and for real issue. yep wow yeah okay. actually well, I, had, in... I hadn't thought about it on such a deep level i thought you know, I mean, if it keeps happening, it could be a sign of like you know faulty RAM or or something. Right, that's kind of um, where my head was going. Something on the, the 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 board or whatever, something in the circuit. Yeah, so if you see it happen again, then sure. But I mean, so I had one machine that was like a DIY router that was like completely flawless for the entire time that I had it, except for this one time where it just went haywire and, and diagonally machined through a bunch of stuff. Oh shit! And then. I like power cycled it and it was totally fine. You know, so like sometimes weird shit will just spontaneously happen. Um, Man, that sucks and like, super bad though. Yeah. Well, happens. so part of the reason why um, computers in space are so like they, they're normally multiply redundant. So they normally have like two or three computers each doing the same calculations. And then they all check with each other to make sure that they got the same results. 
And if they didn't, then it's like a voting system. You know, if two huh. of the computers got the same result, then the, the results from the third one will be ignored. Because computers in space are getting bombarded by radiation like many, many times more often than they are on Earth. And it causes all sorts of problems. Right. Um, there was actually a bit of a debacle in the 90s where um, computer chips were like failing way more often. And it turns out that um, because computer chips were like suddenly in much higher demand than they had been previously, they were starting to buy ceramic. Um, the old, old school computer chips were actually encapsulated in ceramic. And so they were buying ceramic from this new mine that happened to be like just downhill of an old, like downstream of an old school plutonium mine. And so there was like radioactive isotopes mixed in at low concentration with the ceramic and Sick. the, the, you know, uh, particle radiation from that was actually causing errors. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Our technology so... is very strange and fragile on, on that level, you know? But what you're saying is my hoss is radioactive. Definitely. And now I have superpowers. <laughs> um, demonstrably, no. You don't, <laughs> you don't know that? <laughs> well, this is a good segue um, into space. We accidentally ended up talking about space. space. Yeah. yeah. I, think that, I, think that, I think you covered it. I think we covered space already. Yeah, you said radiation, satellites. <laughs> now, what, hit me with sure. the news. Where are we at? Uh, Amazon's having a whinge. A whinge? They are, uh, a whinge. They are suing the uh, FCC and suing, I think, I, I can't remember whether it's the FCC or SpaceX. I think are these the, the people that, that didn't give them the contract? So, it's funny. So, you know, Amazon is owned by Jeff Bezos, or Jeff Bezos founded Amazon, and Jeff Bezos also founded Blue Origin. Mm -hmm. Blue Origin is suing NASA and the U.S. government because of the the moon landing uh, programs that were awarded to SpaceX. And Amazon is trying to launch their own um, satellite, like internet satellite constellation to compete with Starlink. Mm -hmm. um, granted, I don't think that they've actually launched any of the satellites yet and apparently they've taken like 14 months to respond to like a request for clarification or correction to in one of their proposals but they were very very quick to uh sue the fcc and try and stop starlink from getting deployed so i don't, huh. I, I don't know i i hate that shit man like if you know, if you were worried about a competing a company out competing you with you, you know, like yeah, if don't be like whiny infringing about it. on your yeah, if they're infringing on your trademark or if they're like straight up copying your shit, then I get it. But if it's like they're just competing in the same market as you and like kicking your butt, like, yeah, just too bad. Be better, <laughs> but this Bezos you know? guy's gonna blow through all his money. Yeah, well, Elon's been like. Um, chirping him on, on Twitter saying like, turns out Jeff's new, cause he retired as the CEO of Amazon. He's like, turns oh, out Jeff's he? new full-time job is suing SpaceX. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he, he actually stepped down as the CEO. Oh, I didn't know that one. Uh, like a year ago or something. Oh, okay. Ago? I don't know. Not, not recent. Right before all the lawsuits started. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah, uh, everyone's got to have their hobbies. You know, you got to keep busy when you're retired. 100%. So yeah, apart from that, there hasn't been like a ton of news. SpaceX are still working on Starship stuff and it's still like going at a crazy pace, but it's kind of more of the same. Um, they're still waiting. The FAA is doing like an environmental assessment of the um, launch site at Boca Chica, Texas, which is where the next tests are supposed to launch from. And they can't do those tests until the environment environmental assessment is done mm. so i believe that's kind of what's holding things up at the moment um and yeah we'll have to see whether elon gets himself in trouble because he has in the past completely if ignored the faa and done launches even though they told him not such to, a so. bad boy yeah seriously so we'll see i mean there is good reasons to do it so there was um an excellent video by a youtube a youtuber named marcus house the other the other day and he was like, okay, what happens if Starship blows up on the pad? 
Okay. You know, That's something goes wrong. Interesting. What happens? Uh... So there's... Yeah, interesting question, right? So the answer is we're not 100% sure that it's going to be a extremely large boom. Because there's 160 tons of ultra-dense cryogenic methane inside uh, Starship. What the fuck is cryogenic methane? Uh, it's liquid methane. So you take like methane gas and chill it until it's cryogenically cold and it becomes a liquid. Sounds um, evil. Yeah. Well, it, so, you know, by chilling it down as low as you can, it becomes denser and denser and you can pack more of it in. Um, so SpaceX actually does the same thing with their kerosene. So the, there are the rockets, um, the Falcon rockets are fueled by liquid oxygen and RP-1, which is a really refined kind of jet fuel, basically, a kerosene. And most companies, as far as I know, use that at room temperature. You know, the liquid oxygen is really cold, but then the kerosene isn't chilled. They actually chill their kerosene to cryogenic temperatures in order to get, um, to make it denser. They can actually fit like a couple of percent more. Cool. Yeah. So basically, if Starship blows up on the pad, it's going to be at least a one kiloton explosion. So that is... One uh, thousand tons of TNT equivalent. Okay, so how <laughs> how big a mushroom cloud is that? Yeah, it literally it that you know like some of the smaller nuclear weapons that have been built are you know like a kiloton in yield. So it is going to be yeah a mushroom cloud if if it if it actually goes up. Um, that being said, like rockets tend to kind of burn fast rather than explode right if that makes sense tends to be like a really big fireball because like the methane that's in the middle of the fireball doesn't have any oxidizer to react with right like it has to be in contact with the air or or something around it in order to be able to burn right so So designed to 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 explode so it, it might not be good at exploding yeah (laughs) yes exactly whereas um so the solid rockets, the the space shuttle, when it was in operation, had two solid rocket boosters, the SRBs, on, on either side. And solid rockets are actually a mix of fuel and oxidizer in one place. So if a solid rocket explodes, they tend to do so extremely aggressively, like, you know, basically like a big-ass stick of dynamite. Um, so yeah, liquid-fueled rockets are definitely a bit safer in that regards, but could definitely still make a big kaboom so we're hoping that doesn't happen fingers crossed because even though there'll be no one on the pad or in the area around it that explosion could still like break windows you know in in the towns that are kind of around the, the launch site and it would also potentially do a lot of damage to the infrastructure that they've built for launching these things like right. the launch tower so yeah that would be a bad outcome it's not the first time he's blown some shit up either, is it? No. They actually have um, SpaceX on their YouTube channel has a video called How Not to Land an Orbital Class Rocket. And it's literally like a 10-minute montage of them having shit blow up. <laughs> At least they've got a sense of humor about it. Yeah, seriously. So in that case, it was when they were trying to land the first stage of the Falcon rockets. And so they're doing that propulsive landing where they actually yeah. turn the rocket on and, and balance on it as they're coming down. And yeah, it turns out that that shit's really hard to get right. Yeah, um, that was some crazy shit to see the first time. Yeah. Pretty impressive. Yeah, and now it's like almost routine. It's like right. not that impressive anymore yeah, like, they do it all the time. Oh, they didn't even land it like dead center of the target. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just did... um. They just launched a commercial resupply mission to the International Space Station, and the first stage that came back from that learnt, landed on their new fully autonomous drone ship landing pad. So it's oh, this man. big ship that can like sail itself out to sea, and then it holds itself you know, very accurately in position with maneuvering thrusters on all sides underwater, That's and then crazy. the rocket comes and lands on it. Yeah, yeah. And I also love that the names that they give the drone ships they um so there's an amazing sci-fi author from the uk named ian banks and he wrote some of the best sci-fi books i've ever read and there are like spaceships in his books that have names because they're actually like alive they're like sentient spaceships like Um, alan or no they have like really esoteric names like uh just read the instructions 
Uh-huh. Or, um, yeah, one of them quite memorably is named Meatfucker. <laughs> yeah, that, that one was like a derogatory name for a ship that had been caught doing things it wasn't supposed to do. Um, but yeah, so the new drone ship that they have is named after one of the ships in the book, and it's called <laughs> A Shortfall of Gravitas. And um, the landing that they did on that most recent mission was like within centimeters of the middle of the, the logo that they kind of paint as a bullseye on the on the right. deck of the ship. It's crazy how accurate they're getting with that. That's kick-ass. What is driving that, um, like, accuracy? What is, is, are they using, like, how do they nail that target? Is it, I, mean, I can't even speculate on what that is. That's a really good question, actually. I, I'm not 100% sure. It must be a mix of, like, GPS. Because I, I don't know if they have any, I haven't seen any like image imaging sensors on right. the on the Falcon rockets, and I don't think it would be very useful because they're like landing in clouds and stuff. Like sometimes you can't even see the ship. Yeah, I guess you once know? it gets close down to it, but then you know the way that you know it's sort of vertical and it's got all this thrusting going on underneath. Like how would it even <laughs> <laughs> how would it even see? Yeah, exactly. So I, it it might be a combination of like GPS and radio beacons. I'm not 100 percent right. sure on that, so I'd have to look it up. Um, more than likely, they're using GPS in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, if they are using GPS, they would have to be buying very special modules that are authorized by the U.S. government. Because if you just buy a GPS module off the shelf, it actually locks itself down at over a certain speed so that it can't be used in making missiles. Right. I've heard this. Like The accuracy is limited um, in GPS. By the government, yeah. So, like, commercial GPS is is accuracy limited, but also if you if you take like a commercial GPS module and then like put it on a, a hobby rocket and send it into the sky at you know six hundred oh, kilometers an hour, it'll shut itself down. It'll shut itself down. Yeah, ah, it, crazy. It actually detects it. it's like, oh, I'm moving too fast. I shouldn't be reporting a position, you know, while I'm doing this. Um, and that's literally because otherwise people could use those to build like crazy good like. ICBMs, you know, DIY ballistic missile. Right. You could send a missile straight to my shop. <laughs> Sandwich missile. <laughs> oh, Lunchtime. that'd be sick. Lunchtime, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Eat this, bitch. Yeah. Well, I don't. I. I don't know if you've ever seen that skit by. Um, oh, what was his name? Uh, Bill Hicks. I he, have not. He does. He has this um, segment on smart fruit. He's, <laughs> he's like, "Why aren't we using military technology to feed hungry children with laser-guided bananas?" <laughs> it's, yeah. a good, it's a good question. Yeah. Well, so yeah, I mean, that's that's really all that is going on in in space at the moment. Space. Um, sec. Well, I'm sure these guys will, you know, do some more exciting stuff for you soon. Dude, they're they're just like they're working at a crazy pace. I mean, it all of the really exciting stuff has kind of happened and now they're kind of doing the less exciting stuff like they've been gluing on the remainder, well not gluing on, attaching the rest of the heat shield tiles on Starship twenty, which is cool. gonna be like do the, they the use first glue? orbital one. They do not. They actually use these um like mechanical fasteners that attach from the back of the tile. And then to remove the heat shield tile, if it, if it gets cracked or something, they just use like a diamond drill and drill through the middle to make an access hole. And then they put like a little probe through there and, and unlock the mechanical fasteners. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So whereas on, on the space shuttle, they also had these like heat shield tiles, but they were like glued in place and like every tile was a unique sl- snowflake. Right. Um, so it was like incredibly expensive to do the heat shield tiles on the space shuttle. And every time they used it, they had to reinspect every single one. And I think they replaced like half of them every time. Holy shit. Um, what, yeah. what are they made out of? Um, it's some sort of crazy refractory ceramic. So like a material that really reflects heat. Mm. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I would assume it's like... Um, I don't know, boron nitride or, or something like that. Something some crazy ceramic material. I could look it up, but I'm not going to. You <laughs> you go and Google it. Boron. Everyone that's listening to this, go Google Boring. it and tell me about it. 
there you go. But yeah, it's super cool stuff, and they've designed it so that they only have to make like a dozen or like twenty unique shapes of the tiles. That's clever. Um, yeah, yeah, because I mean, most of them are just kind of a a curved hexagon. That's it, you know. Right. And then there are some like pieces around the edges and stuff where they need um, special, unique snow- snowflake tiles. But yeah, you know, it just—it's one of those things. It just makes sense. Like, keep it simple. Yeah. I mean, this is why we're talking about with the pickup rings, keeping that, yep. you know, inside shape flexible. Yeah. So oh, we're obviously it. on I the same it. page. I, just, I think there's a lot of ways to do that. though. Oh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> um, so well, anything else uh, new you want to? Oh, did we have any questions or anything? We haven't talked about questions in a while. Do people send us questions? Honestly, I've been so slammed. Um, so as you know, I was actually away for a memorial for a family member last week. So I've been just like totally out of time. I haven't, haven't really had time to even check the Instagram or anything. So Right. Yeah. Yeah. Next well, week, we'll yes, get back we'll check to out some questions. Send us some questions, folks. I know all you yeah, guys have us... lots of guitar questions. <laughs> yeah someone someone research what the heat shield tiles on the starship are made out of and let me know that'd be awesome to know <laughs> yeah um yeah i i think we're uh we're done time flies by man chatting to you i know i know how long was, was i hanging out at your shop for i probably overstayed my welcome uh i think you were there for like two hours <laughs> for real <laughs> yeah it was at least an hour and a half oh man i was like i told the guys i was like i'll be back in like 45 minutes 20 minutes yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's like a 10 minute 15 minute walk 10 minutes mm-hmm. yeah did you um so nick came to my shop to steal some glow in the dark materials did you um do anything with that yet? well i was all anxious to do something with it as you know that's why i came up to your shop um and then i didn't i didn't end up doing anything because i needed to buy the color the the pigment right the pigment and then now they've got lots of options and as soon as there's options involved my decision making is you know terrible yeah so i was actually talking about this about my wife about with this with my wife did i say yeah so i i i get analysis paralysis i need to make the right decision so i sit with with stuff in my cart forever uh so anyways i did buy the pigment today I bought two types, oh, nice. two different pigments that are nearly identical in color, a shade <laughs> different. Uh, right. And so we'll just see how that mixes because it's like a bluish green color that I'm going for, but it's being mixed with your right. uh, glow in the dark powder, which is a light green. So that's yeah, gonna like a whitish green. Yeah, it's gonna affect. It's gonna it's gonna shift the color a little. So we'll just have to see. Cool. Yeah, well, thank uh, you for post that. some photos of how it comes out. I will. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I bought another rod of carbon fiber. Yes, good idea. Aaron was mad at me yeah, because... Nick, Nick bought one piece and was going to get it right the first time. <laughs> <laughs> well, in my defense, it was a 12-inch... Or no, 6-inch long piece? 12-inch. 12-inch, yeah. It was a 12-inch long piece, and uh, that's <laughs> yeah, like... so many jokes I could make about that. <laughs> <laughs> You wish you had a 12 inch long. 12 inches. Um, And uh, which means it's actually six inches. But Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, that'll do like, that would do like four guitars, 12 inch long rod. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But you're right. And it was was $2 and I was putting an order in with McMaster, anyways. So, yes, there you go. Nice. I'll keep you all posted. Well, I'm excited to see how it turns out. Yeah, and post some photos. And yeah, everybody, please write in with uh, questions and suggestions and yell at us for not checking our Instagram. Sorry about that. And uh, yeah, let us know what the heat shield tiles are made of. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to not research it now. And we will speak to you all again next week. Have a good week. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.